we can't use me as an example because I'm a single guy. I'm living like a crazy party life. Even during COVID, I'm just a total bachelor. Yeah. It's You're- wild times. You, on the other hand, are a white, boring, middle-aged man with a mm. wife and a child. And every day you wake up and you think another day and you listen to the talking head song once in a lifetime and you see your uh, life sort of play out behind you in time-lapsed footage as you sort of move with the same bored look on your face in front of it while once in a lifetime plays and you know the baby cries and the baby keeps getting older and we didn't start the fire Mm -hmm. you know what else do i have to say i've got this like I've got this antique shotgun up in my office and sometimes I just have a drink and look at it for a while. And you've sort of rested the butt of it on the floor at your feet and put the um, barrel in your mouth a couple times as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just having fun. Yeah. And your secretary comes in. Well, you don't have a secretary because this is 2020. No one has secretaries anymore. But, you know, somebody comes in, the janitor comes in and is like, oh, excuse me, the custodial engineer comes in and he goes, oh, excuse me, and leaves. And then you really realize that no one cares because even the custodian didn't want to stop you. (laughs) (laughs) But all of this hinges on one moment in your life that could have been different. If that moment had been different, your whole life would be nothing but pornographic excitement, fast cars, big houses, the boss's wife, golf with the Japanese. Mm-hmm. What is that moment in your yeah. life? What ha- was that banging moment? Courtney Cox on the side? Banging yeah. Courtney Cox on the side. What is that moment in your life? Yeah. I mean, do you really do you seriously want do you seriously want to know? Yeah, I asked it. I didn't know if you wanted me to like come up with a bit, like say like, oh, that's like what bits sound like. I couldn't even think of a joke bit. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. Well, no, you, you, what, tell me, tell me, tell me the bit one, and then tell me the serious one. And I'll, I don't. I'll, I honestly I'll, don't have a bit. I'll I cut I out the the less the less interesting one later. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking prick. Um, no, I mean, you know, in all honesty, the moment would be like, it's not like a moment exactly, but, um, you know, I studied very hard in high school. I got straight A's. I got an almost perfect score on the SAT. I was, I had all these honors and extracurriculars, blah, 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 blah. And I had wanted to get into and did get into the University of Chicago. And my parents basically were very encouraging of this. But then once I was actually accepted and they t- talked with the university about how much money it costs, they were like, look, we really just can't afford to send you. Like, And it f- my parents didn't really think of student loans as, as an option because they thought being in debt was so awful, which, I mean, they're right about. But um, so they were just basically like, we have enough money in our savings account to like send you for one year. And then I guess we'll see what happens after that. So, you know, we'll, but we'll do it if you want us to. But, you know, that's basically all our money in the world. And I was like, oh, no, I'll just I'll just go to Florida State instead. <laughs> and so I do think about that a lot. And I have had fights with my family about it, like even within the last like 10 years. Because they always bring it up, especially my brother will bring it up and he'll be like, oh, I bet you're glad you didn't go there, huh? And I'm like, no, I'm not glad at all. I really wish I had. It was a big mistake in my life. And he's like, oh, what for? Who cares? It doesn't even matter where you go to college. And I'm like, well, it kind of does, actually. You actually don't know what you're talking about. Um, for the things I'm interested in, it matters a lot. Um, do you? Um, so, yeah, no. 
Do you have do you have like a more fun one so I can cut that one? Larry Burroughs has spent his life wishing he had just hit that ball. I just started a half a second sooner. Were you thinking about that silly baseball game again? But today is Larry's birthday, and Mr. Destiny has a way of making wishes come true. Hitting that baseball has spun your life off in an entirely new direction. Things have changed, Larry. This is your house. Those are your children. Cindy Joe's your wife. Happy birthday, darling. God help me. <laughs> now Larry's got everything a man could ever want. Who do these cars belong to? <laughs> well, they belong to you, sir. Get the hell out of here. As you wish, sir. Except the one thing that mattered most. The love he left behind. <laughs> I mean, she's my wife, for Pete's sake. She was your wife. Ask me something I couldn't possibly know. The day I got my driver's license, I got pulled over for speeding. I want to know the name of the song on the radio. This one. Touchstone Pictures presents James Belushi and Academy Award winner Michael Caine. My wife hates my guts. My best friend's afraid of me. I'm up in a tree in a tuxedo. In Mr. Destiny. You didn't think everything was going to be perfect, did you? Um, all right, welcome to 30 Years Later, the show where Chris Chafin and me, Ricky Camilleri, talk about uh, a movie that came out 30 years ago this week. And, you know, some weeks we get to talk about classics, like uh, a few weeks ago we talked about Goodfellas, after that we got to talk about King of New York, and some weeks, um, because we do it every week, we have to talk about a dud. And uh, this week, uh, we are talking about Mr. Destiny, starring Jim Belushi and co-written and directed by a band named Jim Orr. And uh, Chris, I believe this was your, this is currently actually your number one um, A-plus favorite movie. You have posters of the movie, different posters framed all over your house. I can see in the back of the Zoom right now. I have like one sheets. um, Yeah, I have theatrical posters. Yeah, exactly. Framed set stills. Cards. You know, sign- I have like the promotional cards. Yeah, I have those too. Yeah, signed by Jim Belushi. Mm-hmm. You have, um, I believe. I mean, really, it brought have, me and Jim a- together. Yeah, it brought me and Jim together because I wrote him so many letters about it over the years, you know. And I've, of course, seen him at a, you know Mr. Destiny events. Uh, so we just get talking and it- letters, letters specifically about your destiny though, and why the movie appealed to you because you're always contemplating your destiny and how exactly. your life would be different if you had actually um, joined the ping pong team in 10th grade rather than had opted out of the ping pong team. Yeah, they said I had good uh, finger length for ping pong, which I didn't really know what that meant. But <laughs> so I was like, oh, fuck you. But I've, I've read it's actually very important. So I was And you're fool. like, oh, I thanks, guys. I know what to do with that. And it ain't <laughs> ping pong. Hey, baby. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this movie when I was like a child, which is very weird because it's about being like, a, it's completely about being a middle-aged man, which, and being like, hmm, I wish I got to fuck a hot lady, um, which that is basically literally the plot of the movie. 
And, but it is, it's so why in the world did I like it? Right. Um, but I think, well, well first, number first, one, because I had bad taste, right? Like, first and foremost, the first thing. I just want to say it is, it's a wonderful life, right? Like we it's talk a wonderful about life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's just, but it's, it's a like, wonderful life. but it's like specifically geared towards, uh, emotionally immature middle-aged men. Well, okay, so continue. Ricky, wait, 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 wait. Now, now you got me off on something, but this, you mentioned that it's a wonderful life. Okay. And just to say very quickly, the plot of the movie is Jim Belushi is a perfectly normal guy with a wife. Interestingly enough, not any kids, but he has a wife and a dog and he seems very happy, which is, you know, I was jealous of sure. And as he works with his friend, he has a, his boss is nice to him. Um, but then eventually he does like get fired and his car breaks down, blah, blah, blah. But he, he wishes he had done one thing differently in his life. And he thinks if he had done that one thing differently, his whole life would be different. So he gets a magical chance to change that one thing. And, you know, first of all, the movie posits that he is a hundred percent correct. It's, it's not like he has the same life. That's not the lesson. He does have a completely different life. And it's like, he's married to the boss's hot daughter. He's having sex with his hot secretary. He has a bunch of cool cars. He makes a million, he lives in a giant mansion. He has like a butler. And um, yeah, so like, this is the plot of the movie, right? Um, okay, and then obviously he learns eventually that really this life isn't so good and he had it good all along, okay? But speaking of It's a Wonderful Life, at the end of this movie, they make it seem like the lesson is you know, he had a good life all along. He should have appreciated it, blah, blah, blah. And obviously that kind of is the point of the movie, right? But I think textually until the very end of the movie, because there's this like guy, Mr. Destiny, who is the person who changes his destiny. And then he, he meets him many times during the movie at crucial moments and he's kind of directing his destiny, right? I don't know if Mr. Destiny is trying to teach him a lesson because Mr. Destiny, whenever he sees him is like, so you're loving your new life, huh? Pretty cool. And then he's kind of like, oh, aren't you going to like do all the stuff that you're supposed to do now? Like, I, I like, oh, don't you want to like fuck your hot wife? Like, isn't that cool? Isn't that what you want to do here? Like at certain points, I didn't know if that was the message. I thought like, I thought he was just fucking it up. And Mr. Destiny honestly thought he was doing him a favor by like letting him have a different life, you know? That's true because Mr. Destiny never actually steps in to sort of say what the message is, which is normally what would happen in a movie of this nature, right? Like even in the final moments when Jim, like, I don't, I don't think Jim Belushi ever even says to Mr. Destiny, like, um, or no, he runs into the bar and then kind yeah. of says like, does he say like, I want my life back or something like that? He said, but he doesn't even say he wants his life back. He's like, enough. Okay. I get it. He, like, but he like says right like at that, that but and at that point he's being chased by police yeah and people and are trying to murder him murder. you know because yeah, he's done like, all sorts of awful things like yeah and then he says to, he jim jim he says mr destiny oh you sure know how to make a point huh but that's it man he just kind of winks at him because there's an earlier scene where michael kane says to him and this very and i don't know if there's michael kane acting this scene in the way he said michael kane is mr michael kane is mr michael kane goes well, you know, your destiny was changed. Michael Caine is Mr. Destiny. He says, your destiny was changed by request, I might add. And he seems genuinely hurt. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm, look, I'm trying to fucking do you a favor, man. He genuinely seems to have that energy. And so I was like, I think Jim Belushi, the puzzling thing is that Jim Belushi gets his life completely changed, okay? He's got this big mansion. He's fucking his boss's hot wife. He also has a hot secretary that he's fucking. He has a million cool cars, blah, 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 blah. 
immediately he starts trying to get his wife back and he spends the entire movie finding his old friends and he's doing this thing where he's talking at them in this alternate reality nonsense he just can't stop being like scooter you're my best friend but it's like he knows that is not the case he has created an alternate reality on purpose and like it's just very and it's he's just trying to it's he's trying to fuck his wife like he has one night of having sex with his new wife and he immediately is like obsessed with bringing his old wife back to be his current wife and i was like this is really weird i thought it was really weird and i thought even in the mind of this infantile character i don't i don't see it like i think he would enjoy his life a little bit i mean i guess there's like a five minutes in the movie where he does but like it was very puzzling. To no, me. he's like, I thought about this while I was watching the movie as well. He's a deeply unhappy man, almost no matter what, right? Like in the beginning, <laughs> he has a pretty good life. Like it's not great, but it's great. They have, they said a, a loving, beautiful wife. He's got a home. He's got, he works with his friends and family. Like every day he goes to work and he works with his friends and family to the point where his life is so not bad that when he gets his brand new life, he lives in the same town and works at the same company. <laughs> it's not like he gets a new life where he's like suddenly a high roller in the big city and doing it. No, he's just a richer person in the same town. He's slightly better off, right? And then, and then he gets that and he's like, no, 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 no. I want that instead. I want this instead. So he clearly, like outside of the movie, through all of his life is going to be a deeply unhappy, miserable man, consistently pining for whatever he doesn't have. Like poor, the real victim of this movie is Linda Hamilton, who plays his oh, original yeah. wife, because oh, yeah. she is going to have to deal with this chronically <laughs> depressed man her whole life, who she's probably going to end up leave once he, they have kids and he's exposing and, she, and like, he, his his true nature is exposed to the kids and she can't have that around the kids. <laughs> She's going to leave him and he's probably going to kill himself, right? Like because she is actually very self-actualized. She's like a union leader at, at yes. work and she's always like telling him to like, she's like, you got to find out what's going on with this injustice. You got to stand up for it. And he's like, mm, probably should have said no, but I said, okay. Oh and my God. And this, this movie is narrated by Jim Belushi oh for no fucking reason. That's another aspect of it that is like, it's totally made for either eight year olds or like middle-aged men with an eight year old brain. Literally like one of the first lines in voiceover is Jim Belushi says, destiny's a pretty big concept. If you think about it, it's the, ki- it's the, it's the kind of voiceover that might as well be going, hello, this is a movie. This is a scene. These are yeah, two right. people talking. And in this scene, this is what they just said. And this is what's happening in the movie. I mean, he literally, the voiceover would be like, John walked into the room. John was my best friend since we were 13 years old. He always had a good laugh. We were friends, but he was a little bit of a weirdo. And, right. You know, and then John would do something weird, but funny. Right, which this character is like his name is not John, but it's played by John Lovitz, which is like like I kind of like John Lovitz in this movie. He's at least having fun, I think. You know, he's the only one who does uh, like abnormal line reads. Like everybody else, you can kind of see where they're coming from. It's like a to go with the sports of the movie. It's like a fastball right down the middle. Whereas John Lovitz will do something kind of tweaked and funny with 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 a line, even though the line is not a joke uh, 
at and all. He, but going back, just and he has uh, a lot of like physicality. He has a lot of physicality. Can I just say he's doing a lot with his body? Yes. That's kind of weird, you know. He genuinely seems to be having a, at least a little bit of fun in the movie. And then there are serious scenes, and he's good in the serious scenes too. I mean, I'm all for John Lovitz in this movie. Can we talk about like? what the worst aspect of Jim Belushi's life is before <laughs> destiny comes in and turns him into a slightly wealthier person in the same He just has that he his up. boss's job. That's it. Everything else yeah. about his life is exactly the same. He has his boss's job. His boss's job and, and, and life. Who, right. His boss, who he doesn't even really like that much. Right. At the but beginning. It's, but it's like he has the job of the, like, the president of the company, and that guy is very nice to him and like seems to like him a lot and yeah jim belushi's the one that doesn't like him you know and it's like a very weird dynamic he's just a big sweet dummy he's like hey how are you just wanted to check in and see how you're doing we're friends right from the context of 2020 and living during a global pandemic and like a far right-wing fascistic government that's doing nothing but trying to drink the blood of the poor like watching this movie and this man like cry about his white collar job with his like ranch home and his and his and his nice pretty wife was just like fuck you fuck the 80s like you guys had no idea how good you had it. Oh my God, you had no like, fucking idea. They were like, oh, I have everything I could possibly want, but like, I don't know, you know, maybe I should want more stuff. Right? Like, oh, I you. have everything fuck I could you. possibly want, but I still feel empty inside and I don't want to do anything about it myself. I want somebody else to step yeah, in. Yeah, I don't know. Go to church, dude. Like r- read a book. I don't know. You know, like it's not the fault of the society. Like just, you know. <laughs> help people do something to help other people volunteer for god's sakes you know yeah like every one of these fucking movies is always has nothing to do with the community it's like learning to remember to love yourself and your your wife so individualized and specific and american it's never like hey why don't i like help tom across the street or like who like is in a wheelchair and needs a ride to the clinic tomorrow or something or maybe i could go down to the community center and i could help out down there like say what you will about capra and his like his 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 right-leaning tendencies and republicanism it's a wonderful life is not just about jimmy yeah. stewart and jimmy it's Stewart's about the family. community i mean it's, it's explicitly about the, about the community the community yes and the bank is the bad guys the bank it's about the bank versus the community like it's so you know it's it's beautiful i mean and that is something this movie completely misses right like even for as much as it's a copy of it's a wonderful life it doesn't understand that at all it doesn't understand what makes his life good it, oh my god can i sorry i don't like in terms of what you're talking about right now i don't want to forget it and i'm we're jumping ahead but the last scene of the movie not the last yeah. scene the second to I, last I was scene thinking about this movie, too i was thinking about this too. this is unbelievable that this movie would even would would go there without being self-aware about it the entirety of the movie like the people who work in the union and work in the shop below where the white collar people work where jim belushi works are all on the verge of being fired and the way that jim belushi gets fired early in the movie is because he's asked by his father who works in the shop and his wife who's the union head to like look at some look look at some files to find out if they're all going to get fired and he tries to find it and then at the end he runs in and he punches his 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 bought one of his bosses in the face who's going to try to fire everybody so that they can save millions and millions of dollars a very standard thing that was happening in the 80s like let go of all the union members they were going to sell the company to the japanese you know very very 80s yeah and so jim belushi walks in and he punches him in the face and then 
his boss, his like the actual boss, comes into Jim Belushi's house at the end and offers him the job as executive vice president of the company. And Jim Belushi takes it. And it's supposed to be a wonderful moment at the end of the movie when it's just like, he's just going to have to be the one to fire people now. <laughs> like, I don't this understand. Is what you like, just ran away from. The whole movie was about you don't actually want these things. But it was like it doesn't have the awareness to understand that it's like well no you can be a good guy and have a cool car and a bunch of money you're like no that was literally the exact opposite point of the whole movie you just made like you could be a good guy and be in management yeah like no that's the whole point weren't you watching the movie you just made that is not the point of the movie but it's the 80s and it's this period of time where like there is nothing that you could even if you're trying to operate in like the capra sphere uh, of of storytelling, there it's the 1980s and it's Jim Belushi and there's nothing better that you can be than than having more money. There's just nothing better that you can be, right? And so the movie can't end with him just liking his humdrum life, his nice life with his beautiful wife and 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 their and their nice little house. He has to become the man, but like his version of the man that he got to test out, right? Clearly, the movie couldn't live or exist without Jim Belushi becoming wealthy at the end. I mean, it is weird if you think about it. In fairness, like the end of It's a Wonderful Life, technically it is also Jimmy Stewart getting a bunch of money, but it's not like the same kind of thing at all. You know, he's getting money so he like doesn't have to go to prison and it's more the money is the expression of love from all the people he's touched throughout his life, you know? So I guess this you know, Mr. Destiny being such a bad copy of it is like, oh yeah, and then at the end, uh, he gets all the money. <laughs> You're like, no, that's, that's not the point of it at all. That's not the point of it at all. Pretty great cast. Like outside of Jim Belushi, but even Jim Belushi is good. pretty good. Jim Belushi's good, I say. One of his better parts, but like then you've got Linda Hamilton, you've got John Lovitz, you've got Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. um, you've got Renee Michael Russo. Michael Caine. I mean, I mean, Michael he would do Caine. any movie in the eighties, but like you know, he's good. He's not bad in the movie. Honestly, he's not bad. You've got J.O. Sanders from like J.O. Sanders is from like uh, JFK. Um, he's in like a he's in a ton of movies, but he's the one who plays uh, his like um, frat like. Formal, former professional football playing boss. Oh, that guy. Oh, he is really good. Yeah. He's good in the movie. Yeah, he he's seems great. very believable. Like I completely believed that character a hundred percent. Well, he's um, an he's an amazing New York actor. He does um, the Apple Family plays with um, uh, Richard. Uh, I shouldn't remember his name. I did a big interview with him a couple times. He's maybe my favorite playwright in New York City, but he does these like very specific, slight, subtle family plays where like everybody is talking at regular decibel and like they're 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 highly influenced by Chekhov. And he 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 re not he didn't restage. He wrote a bunch of new ones during the pandemic for Zoom, where the Apple family is zooming with each other, and you watch their Zoom. And it's like really beautiful. Like they're just talking about what their lives have been like through all of this. But he has this incredible way of making it feel extremely natural. But then by the time the, the, it's wrapping up, someone brings up, like there's been something that they've bring, been like slightly touching on the whole time. And then all of a sudden in the last like 15 minutes, someone will tell like a brief story kind of relating to that or something else. And it'll be like 
all of life has just like washed over you in this beautiful heartbreaking way he's really incredible but sanders jo sanders is one of the one of his go-to actors that he uses all the time anyway side side note i mean that's very fascinating i would never have guessed in a million years from watching the him app- in this movie the apple family plays go uh go look it up 30 years later heads are they on YouTube? Can you find them on YouTube, Ricky? You actually can find a lot of the Apple Family Plays on um, public access. Uh, public access's website. They were recorded and um, they're, they 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 exist there. And I think you can find some of the Zoom Family Plays, the, the Apple Family Plays on Zoom. I think you can find mm-hmm. those as well. Those are those are also pretty pretty wonderful. Oh, um, cool. But uh, yeah, great supporting cast and. Uh, from a high, going from a high note, a highbrow note on J.O. Sanders <laughs> and uh, and and theater. Can we talk about 1990s Courtney Cox? Hey, oh, can we please? Yeah, this is like what we're like barely post Dancing in the Dark. Courtney Cox. Um, ay, ay, ha- ay, mama ay, mia. Oh, with that hair. Oh, and in first, when you first see her, it's in the one reality and she's like a forklift driver and she's real tough. And then you see her in the next reality and she's like an executive assistant and she's got all this, like her, her hair is super straight and she's wearing like business clothes. They're both really good looks. They're both really good looks on her. Do you feel like, I mean, that moment where like he sees her as, um, as the one reality right? The, the actual reality where she's the forklift driver. And then all of a sudden in the new reality, she's his like secretary and mistress. There's an element of this movie that's like um, Mulholland Drive. <laughs> where like his, like the destiny turn becomes a kind of form of his subconscious where like a brief fantasy moment suddenly becomes like this weird re like he sees her for a second he's never seen her before and clearly his brain is like whoa what would it be like to fuck her and then like his and then it turns back yeah. to reality and then all of a sudden in destiny it's he has a whole relationship with her and she has it she's a completely different character yeah no that's true are you saying you think this movie entirely takes place in jim belushi's subconscious and it's a kind of mulholland style mulholland drive style fever dream it's like a jacob ladder scenario kind of Oh, we're going to be talking about that movie in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. You haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't, but I know the general idea. Yes. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a little like that. What I also think that it is, um, is that like, and it's true because the cars that he has, the cars he has in real life are the model cars that he had in his, you know, the cars that, the cars that he has in destiny are the cars he has as, as models in real life. So it's all oh, yeah. connected, Ricky. Yeah, how much did you like that he gets the chance to, he gets all these cars when he gets famous. He turns on the lights in this garage and there's all these like amazing fucking cars in there. And he's like, whoa, whose cars are these? And the butler's like, it's yours, sir. And then he like takes the car out for one drive and then it cuts to him later and he's playing with his model cars and he's like, yeah. misses his model cars. I was like, I saw that and I was like, you fucking loser. You can't even be happy with the fact that you have these fucking cars you can drive around. You want to play with your goddamn little models. You are a morbidly depressed, chronic loser. Everybody should leave you. Your destiny should be loneliness. (laughs) Seeing that scene, you know what I thought? Because in the destiny reality, he has two kids. I was like, so you're telling me this motherfucker had the time to go to a store, find a model he wanted, come home, entirely construct it, 
and nobody bothered him until the very end because they come in and they go, oh, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I'm like, what? He's he's been sitting in this room for six hours by himself, like <laughs> fucking just making like, a model. Like that's luxury, baby. You know, it's not even a model. It's like a uh, Hot Wheels, and he's like just like doing like what like little kids do with airplanes. You know, like in the like meow. <laughs> so he's been doing that for six hours. Once again, loser. Fucking loser. loser. Just drive the cars. For God's sakes, drive the cars. He didn't even want to drive each of the cars once. He just drove one of the cars. <laughs> like, come on, dude. And then he saw his wife and he was like, oh, I'm going to go ruin her life in this new fantasy. Like, I'm gonna, she's like, married. She has a life. I'm going to go. I'm going to go ruin it. He like sleeps in her bushes and he's just obsessed with fucking her and getting with completely single mindedly. And this is the scene where Michael Caine as Mr. Destiny shows up in the mirror and he's like, because he, Jim Belushi is going to go out on a date with uh, his reality wife, which by the way, he sets up as a business meeting she's required to go to as part of a union arbitration which, as the boss of the company, which was so fucked up, I thought. He shows up with flowers. Like this is the kind of thing people like tell horror stories about. Like we had yeah. a business meeting and the guy showed up with a bouquet of flowers. I was like... Yeah, he yeah, um it's awful. Um he but Mr. Destiny Mr. Creep. Destiny shows up and he's like Yeah, yeah, he's like a complete fucking creep. It's disgusting. Well, yeah, in that board uh, meeting he asks her to dinner. He in front of everybody and no one I mean, this is nineteen ninety for you. Nobody in that meeting is like, Hey, don't do this, boss. She could sue she's she could sue you for sexual harassment because they don't know each other. He she he is her boss and he's like, It'll be strictly business, but have dinner with me tonight and we can talk about this and nobody stops it. The only reason they're mad is because he's having dinner with the head of the union, not because he's fucking clearly sexually harassing this woman. Yes, because everyone does get mad and they're like, What are you doing? But right, it's because they're like don't talk to the union. (laughs) No one is like, what are you doing? You could get sued. You could lose your your job. This is completely inappropriate. Like this is insane. And she even says in the scene, she goes like, well, I don't know why that would be necessary. And it's like, yeah, exactly. She's right. (laughs) Listen to her. (laughs) No, not at all. But Mr. Destiny shows up in his mirror before this date. And he's like, hey, so uh, how's your whole new life thing going? And he's like, oh, cool. I'm going on a date with my old wife. And he's like, oh, don't you want to like fuck your new wife? I mean, that was kind of the point of this whole thing. And he's like, nah, you know, what do I give a shit? It's not like I've been married to her this whole time. Like I just got here. And he's like, well, all right, I guess. I don't really, I don't know. (laughs) But he did fuck her once, right? So did fuck her once, yeah. It's almost worse that, he does it once and then like go like goes back to his other wife like clearly used this woman like was like was like okay got that felt that was cool now i want to go back to my life like yeah he is a very self-centered single-minded um person well ricky i mean i've heard uh you know it's like you know you can run away from a woman but you know you can only run so fast ricky you know if she's gonna chase you like you know oh what am i gonna do you know like isn't it kind of like one of those situations it's like you know she just wanted to fuck him so bad oh you're talking about renee russo the the new the fantasy wife. yeah renee russo yeah 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 i mean sure she wanted to have she wanted to sleep with him because 
they're in married. the fantasy, that's her husband. Yeah. And he yeah. was stoked about it. He bragged about it to like his kids or someone, or was it to her, right? He was like, I didn't know you could do things like that with your legs. Yeah. What does he say? Do you remember what he says? I think, yeah, something like that. Like, I didn't know you could do things like that with your legs. Um, but we were talking about this, like, I heard this as an eight-year-old and I was like, what kind of things, what kind of things would you need to get done? And I just, I thought about it for years and years and years in, into when I started having sex. I was like, I wonder what they were talking about in Mr. Destiny. I wonder what specific sex act they were referring to. <laughs> like as I was having sex and watching pornography and I would be like, I don't know, but like, what did you, none of this stuff you, really seems to warrant a comment like that. You know, like. Did you ever like in the middle of sleeping with someone be like, so can you do anything like weird with your legs or like, <laughs> what do you like? Have you ever seen Mr. Destiny? <laughs> Do you, you know, know what he's talking about? I never did. And this is one of the problems in my life. This is one of my Mr. Destiny moments. I never said to someone while I was fucking them, like, hey, you uh, you do anything weird with your legs or something? Uh, I don't know. Should we get in touch with Jim Orr, the co-writer and director of this movie, <laughs> and ask him what he meant by that? I mean, my fear about that is that he would then listen to the podcast where we inserted his answer um, and not be pleased <laughs> with our reaction to the film. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever. That's fine. Oh, I wouldn't want to have Jim or mad at me. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, isn't it offensive to poor Linda Hamilton's character that her husband is like, whoa, she, this one can really bone. Yes, it is 100% offensive to her. Yes, this one's really good in the sack. And the other weird thing I got to say about that is the movie goes out of its way to make Renee's, Renee Russo's character seem very sweet and nice. Yeah. And like, why is that the other thing? Like, oh, and she bones like an animal too. It's like, but then he doesn't want to be with her and it's not even a question for him. He doesn't even think about it for a second. Like, like what the fuck is going on with this movie? So you, you're right. You don't, you don't get really that many, you really get one night of enjoyment yes. in regards to the new life. And then he's just baffled the whole time. And then his father shows up with Kathy Ireland, <laughs> uh, famous sports illustrated swimsuit model, Kathy Ireland, and tells him that uh, him and his, him and Jim Belushi's mother have gotten a divorce and he met Kathy Ireland in Monte Cristo, something like that. Right. Is that yeah. where he met her? Um, again, some dumb reference that is made for like either an eight-year-old boy or a 40-year-old man with an eight-year-old boy's brain. Like there's only three places in the world that exist. And it's like, it's like, it's like the place that you live in that moment, small town, nowhere, Miami beach, or like Monte Cristo. Like that's all that there is. You mean Monte Carlo. Oh, Monte Carlo. Sorry. And I just want to say that Jim Orr also wrote sister act two and three men and a baby which I find pretty crazy. In a lot of ways, ironically, this movie was Jim Orr's Mr. Destiny, Big Swing and a Miss, which is the thing that Mr. Destiny or that Jim Belushi wishes he had done. He, he swung and a miss, he wished he had hit the baseball. Um, Did we, have we not said that yet? No, we, I, we, I just said it was something. It was, what it was is it was like the state championship high school baseball game. And it was three and two and the bottom of the ninth. And they are down by one run. And he was up to bat, you got to see. And the pitch was coming towards him. And he swung and he missed and he fell in the doit. And then he was a bum for the rest of his life. And then uh, the woman he ends up marrying comes into the locker room and says something sweet to him. And yeah. 
this is like an unconditionally loving, beautiful oh God, person yeah. who this man at 35, apparently 35, I'm sorry, is Jim Belushi really 35 in, so look, in, in this movie? He's like I, a I, solid 48. So look, I will say watching this movie, they say at some point like he's 35 and I'm looking at Jim Belushi with his like receding hairline and his big gut and he's like, looks just old in a certain way and like worn down. And I was like, yeah, right, this motherfucker. I looked it up. He would have literally been 35 when he shot this movie. (laughs) What? Yes, he was literally 35, if not 34, when they were making this movie, which is fucking wild. And then I was like, well, I guess like Homer Simpson is supposed to be 35. I think in 1990, this is what you looked like when you were 35. Like it it was a rough time, Ricky. Like it was hard on you. Even if you were a movie star, you looked like this when you were 35. He looks like a... I mean, I'm 36, and I look old for my age, and I feel like I look younger than Jim Belushi I'm does I'm 38, and I feel like I look much younger than Jim Belushi looked in this movie. Like, it's, it's crazy. But he was, he was I, I, literally, I if, truthfully 35. I wonder if it's just because he has, in this movie, like, every dad look. You know, like yeah, he just yeah, has like, yeah. a very clear 1990s, 1990 dad look that yeah. like, I can't erase that person from, I can't, I can't, I can't see that person as the same age as me. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. Or like younger than you, like this person, <laughs> but there is, cause he's wearing, yeah, like I said, or like he's wearing like sweat pants tucked into his giant Nikes and like talking about the mud in the yard. And, you know, I don't know. He just seems like he's a thousand years old. Yeah, no, but there are, you know, there are moments in the movie where if you're looking carefully, you can, if you're looking at his face, you're like, I guess he actually does look really young occasionally. He's just like out of shape and I'm sure smokes like a pack of cigarettes a day and like drinks a bottle of whiskey a week. And, you know, like he just doesn't look well. He eats a lot of like really bad food. (laughs) That's how you imagine Jim Belushi lived his life in 1990. Yes, it is. Yes. I just want to go back for a second and apologize for not having uh, stated what the uh, impetus of the entire movie was at the outset of this podcast and going for so long without having stated it. The truth of the matter is this is the third or fourth time we've attempted to record this. And so we have said it multiple times already, just not in this specific recording. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sorry that like at the beginning, we did not say Jim Belushi as a child misses a pitch and because he's such a fucking loser, he spends the rest of his life pining over what could have happened if he had hit that home run. Can I say, I will tell you what would have happened if he had hit that ball. Nothing. Nothing. He would have exactly the same life. You know what the fucking craziest part was? Was So his whole fantasy, his entire life is like, if only I had hit that pitch in that baseball game. And they're, they say, I think in a town of 32,000 people, 36,000 people were at the game. It's like huge, 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 right? His fantasy of what happens to him if he hit the pitch has nothing to do with being a professional baseball player. He still works in the fucking sporting goods company. Why was that not part of it? Nothing about like going to college. There's not even like a scene where like a recruiter sees him and is like, hey, come with me. And then maybe we are just supposed to fill in the dots that he washed out of major leagues. And now he works at this company, which is the story of the guy who was the real president. So like, maybe we are supposed to infer that kind of, but the movie doesn't get there at all. It's really weird. Are we supposed to infer that like he hits the ball, therefore 
the richest girl in town wants to marry him and that's that because he hits the ball this one time in this one game he marries the richest girl in town and his life works out that like what a stupid concept that would only come from the brain of a stupid man (laughs) (laughs) and like i will just say as somebody who was like like look i was a teenage boy i was a teenage boy in the 1990s like maybe this is just me but like uh, there were categories of girls that you think about right the richest girl in town was not one of them (laughs) you know like like the prettiest girl like a sexy girl like a smart girl but like the richest girl in town no i don't know i couldn't fucking tell you who the richest girl in town was i have no idea and in what small town like this is the daughter of the wealthiest the owner of the wealthiest company does she stick around can oh no God, one leave right? this town? It makes no sense to like everybody. It's like fucking Night Vale. Like no one can leave. Like... So like say 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 he ended up, he did hit the ball and he married the prettiest girl that he went to high school with. I came from a town that was like kind of small like that. The prettiest girl that I went to high school with had no life after high. Like I mean, it's oh yeah. So, like he would have had an even worse life than the life that he had with the woman who runs the union and has a big, beautiful heart and loves him unconditionally. He would have had an even worse life. And you know, if he had married the richest woman, he wouldn't have married her. They would have had a brief relationship, and then she would have like took off for college somewhere and then moved to New York or LA and stayed there until she could come back and run her father's company or, you know, yeah. come back, what, whatever. She, they just would not have had a long-term relationship because hitting that one ball doesn't make him have a life afterwards. It just gets him possibly laid that night. I mean, I would say the biggest thing I could possibly get is like a college baseball scholarship. And then it's really on him to turn that into something. And the odds of that are very small. But like, yeah, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Like the daughter of the, like, and what, I mean, I know he owns a sporting goods company, but don't you think he has better ambitions for her than like just some guy that hit the baseball that one time? Like he's probably, you know, he probably has the kind of person he wants her to marry and isn't shy. Well, I guess he is like a big softy idiot, the guy who's her dad. So like, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he's just like a big sweetheart and doesn't really think about this stuff. Because this is one of the weird jokes of the movie is that the owner of the company is portrayed as this like doddering, senile, like very meek person. Who eventually... Basically a member of the U.S. Senate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's like Harry Reid, basically. He's like doddering around. All his underlings are telling him what to do. And he's like, one of them is like, oh, hey, let's hang out. And he's like, you want to hang out with me? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was just a very i mean that was a very weird choice i feel like that's not a, a trope that i'm familiar with yeah i'm not sure i mean I, I was surprised that was like one of the few things that was like an actual character surprise to me that i that i kind of enjoyed even though it didn't make any sense like this man would be ruthless even as a doddering old man he's the exec he's the president of like a very successful sports um uh, sports equipment company, right? It's like the most successful company in this town. Um, he would be sm- somewhat smart and ruthless. This man I mean, is like seemingly slow his whole life. <laughs> because the things that they make are essentially commodities, right? Like there is nothing particularly good about 
the uh, i mean if please excuse me sportsmen but like one basketball versus another basketball like obviously there are differences but once you get to a certain quality of basketball it's not like only one person can make it like anyone in the fucking world can make it and the only reason your company would be successful is because you have these like you know you're the official basketball of nba or so you're like some kind of ruthless deal making asshole who is like you know crushing the competition and getting these amazing distribution deals for your company like I don't know. I don't see how you'd be this fucking old sweetheart, like just yeah, you, begging to you go out for lunch with people. You wouldn't be some like four foot nine idiot shuffling your feet around and asking for attention. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really, really um, weird. I think that's, I think that about, that about, that about covers yeah, it. Chris, you wanna... what's your favorite part? Hey, well, my favorite part of the movie, um, <laughs> this is really stupid. I do like so this movie has a little bit of special effects like there's like um like a cool neon sign and there's michael kane in a couple of scenes has these little like he just kind of draws things in the air or he makes little lines pop out of things i liked all that stuff a lot <laughs> like that stuff because the movie kind of has the vibe of a fairy tale it has this kind of very strong fairy tale energy and a, and there's just a tiny bit of magic in the movie and i thought the magic was actually well done and i thought it was well animated and it was so sparse in the movie but it was just like a little surprising when it happened and uh, i i really like it I, I really like it a lot genuinely <laughs> what's uh, what is your favorite part of the movie ricky my favorite part of the movie is um when is the end is the final last scene for some reason uh i think it's mostly because that's when the movie ended no uh it's fucking over my favorite subject <laughs> is lunch um no the 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 final scene of the movie is we flash back to the moment where um jim belushi as a teenager missed the ball and you know now he's still missing the ball because uh he's gone back to his normal life and learned to love his normal life and in this scene where he's still missing the ball he's like he's not he's not crying like he was originally i mean i don't actually know how destiny and time works in this movie where suddenly like the thing changed his emotional reaction to I think the... it was just later in the same night I think it was just later the same no. night yeah well either way I enjoyed that he as he was walking out he comes across Michael Caine as Mr. Destiny kind of hidden in the stands who says some words of encouragement to him and uh philosophical words of encouragement to him uh which I can't remember and the kid walks away and is like, shut up, you stupid old man. And that's the last line of the movie is the kid <laughs> sadly walks out of the ball field. I just thought it was like, you have this big rousing, you know, faux Capra ending where it's like the family and he's holding his dog and he's kissing everybody and he gets the new job. And then you have this, and then, it, and then instead of ending there, it cuts to this kind of comic downbeat ending where this, trodden beaten down kid is like walking with his shoulders slumped out of the park and the credits roll and it's playing only you and i thought that was kind of like the most honest beat of the whole movie <laughs> and i just i liked it it's really well i started to say this before but like this is weird jim or like he so he wrote three men and a baby and he wrote sister act two but this is like he wrote and directed this movie it seems to have been like a big shock for him, right? Uh, it's the only major movie that he's ever directed. Um, I guess he actually did direct Man of the House after this. The movie JTT. With JTT did direct Man of the House. But like, 
it cost 20 million to make it only made 15 million it was like everyone hated it it's kind of reviled but like it was a it was a big swing and a miss and his life seems to have taken a very different path afterwards <laughs> so wasn't how it, ironic big... that in a meta sense you know was it a big miss i mean we're talking about it because it was it made the most money that weekend i thought no, I know. I just I'm talking about it because I it's a movie that came out this week that I liked. No, it was um, it didn't make back its budget at the box office. Um, Chris, what is the most uh, '90s thing about this movie? Since most of the movies that we're going to be talking about for the next ten, 10 years, if we do this podcast for ten years, take place in the '90s. Hey, Ricky, it's got to be the concept that you could get rich by having a job. I, I think it's very <laughs> and very 1990s that he lives in a huge mansion, which he got from having a slightly better job. Like, LOL, 1990s. That's not how that shit works. Uh, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't have anything for, for, for this category. This movie is very 1980s. This it's is very a, 1980s. It is. It, it is. It's Jim Belushi himself is like a, a a only a factor in movies from like 1986 to 1991 and then he's kind of gone until the show according to jim comes out um it's and then especially like linda hamilton yes i mean terminator 2 is 1991 but after that we don't we don't don't really get much although the two of them do another movie together in the mid 90s jim and and jim and linda oh what 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 is that I don't remember what it's called, but I look. I looked it up uh, oh, yesterday. Uh, it exists. I haven't seen it. I'm probably not going to. I'm sure it's Ricky's terrible. full quote on this movie is, it exists. <laughs> um, Chris, it has been, I mean, this is kind of a whopper. It has been 30 years since this uh, movie came out. What do you think it's grown out of? Hey, I'm assuming Ricky, you have a laundry list. It's got to be that treatment of women. Oh boy, that treatment of women. It's an old classic on this show, a real standby. Turns out people didn't really respect women in 1990 and it was very obvious and that's or very didn't sad see them, to watch. Didn't see them as autonomous beings with their own, <laughs> or autonomous sentient beings with their own agency. Just sort of pieces of property you can trade around between men and have sex with you know and brag about yeah it's real sad it's real sad it makes me really have a honestly doing this podcast has made me have a new appreciation for women's rights because i was like wow really recently people women were not people so like that seems awful oh dude wait till we get to like the years 1999 to 2005 and every other week we have to watch some college comedy that's just like tits oh my god i can't wait i can't wait um, I actually want to go back. I want to say I, I, the most 90s thing about this movie to me is John Lovitz. John Lovitz. Ah, yes. He's John the one Lovitz. piece. He's the one piece that actually had a more blossom, that had a more blossoming career in the 90s than, than everybody else in the movie. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Like what were John Lovitz's like big successes of the 1990s? The Critic. The Critic. Yeah. But that was like, you know, I mean, it wasn't that Happy. successful. The Critic, Happiness, I mean, SNL. Well, SNL, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he and he was just like in every, every he was in like all the Sandler movies. He was in um, a lot of stuff. Hold on, I'm looking up some of- I mean, The Critic Lovitz. is obviously, I mean, look at what I'm doing right now. Obviously, The Critic is something that I love a lot. It has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, look, he was in- Happiness, A League of Their Own, Loaded Weapon One. Oh, A League one. of Their Own. Yeah, he's really good in that. I forgot about that. He had a he had an arc on new news radio. He was in the Wedding Singer. 
Oh, he uh, replaced Phil Hartman on. He replaced Phil Hartman on news radio. He was in High School High, Matilda, The Great White Hype. He was in Seinfeld, Larry Sanders Show, City Slickers Two, City Slickers, Coneheads. Um, oh, Mom City and Dad Slickers. Save the World, dude! I can't wait to do City Slickers on this show. That's gonna fucking rule. He did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. I mean, he had stuff in the 80s too, but it's really the 90s where I think he becomes well, a- Well, because the um, 80s are like when he was doing like The Liar on SNL and stuff, right? Like that was when he was like kind of really, really big on, on SNL. Maybe. I'm trying to find what years he was on SNL. I feel like it was like 87. It was like his when he was on. Anyway, do you want to tell me what? Uh, oh, you're right. You're right. He's grown you're right. Of, it's, he started in 1985. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess maybe he made a, a recent appearance because it says 85 to 2020. So I have <laughs> no idea like what time when he was off the show. I'm assuming he did an 80, like a seven year contract like everybody and did like 85 to 1992 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, what do I think this movie has? Yeah. Sure. It's treatment of, of, of women, it's sense of, uh, it's sense of how the economy works. It's treatment of middle-class white men and our sympathies uh, for, for them. Um, I think it's also like Ghost and like some other movies that we've talked about. It's general sense of storytelling and what adults yeah. can process. Uh, have we, we've also grown out of as well. Like I think this, I think if this movie were to come out today, it would like this movie in its form, the same form that it's in that it's right now, it would be a like lifetime or Hallmark movie. Like it's, it's not, oh, yeah. it would be like a not, Netflix Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's not made for general audience cons- consumption. It's made for like one small slice of audiences who really like things dumbed down. Um, <laughs> Cause it is, it's just so it's very, very simplistic. Everything yes. that happens is very simplistic that like narration is very simplistic. The plot structure is very simple. It's, it's very kind of like surface. Like I think a good 15 to 20 minutes of this hour and 50 movie is like a date he goes on with his wife when he's in the destiny reality, which is like, why, why is so much of the movie that I guess it's him remembering what he loves about his wife and falling in love with her again. But he had already slept all night in the bushes outside her house and was like dying to fucking get in her pants. So I, I didn't really think he was on a journey. Like he was already there, you know? Also how boring is that montage where like he puts on the song that was the song that she got like arrested to and she, or like got pulled over to when she was young, which is, um, so bad, baby. Give me, give me some, which I actually think is the second movie that we've talked about that uses this song. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like this is the second time I've sung this song on this. I feel podcast. like it has been. I it sounded familiar to me too. I think it was just very in the zeitgeist right then. Uh, um, it's Steve Winwood. Well, he's one of the writers of it. Uh, but Steve Winwood and I think his brother, and I can't remember who the actual singer is, but uh the the after he puts the song on and it cuts to a montage of them on a date it's like they go mini golfing at like a mexican restaurant and there's a moment where he goes to hit the to putt the ball and for no reason at all the putter just totally breaks underneath him like the actual putting piece falls out of like the staff and it's like how did that happen is this a joke and she laughs hysterically but it's all like one of those lazy montages where like the music plays over like silence. Also, yeah. is this, I forgot to say this and I had this in a note. 
is that the only time music plays in the movie? Because it is other. It is otherwise a like abundantly silent movie. There's no music the whole movie. It is very weird. You're right. There is no music in the movie. Like, I mean, I guess is there, there must be a score, but I don't remember it. Like when there's a, you know, the, when he's getting chased by the cops at the end. And we didn't even mention that. So not only did he, does he fuck over Rene Russo, but he also like Courtney Cox just shows up as his spurned girlfriend at the end of the movie and starts shooting into a crowd of like 20 police officers and him because she's like so mad at him. Which I Oh, it's so fucking crazy. Um, like, even if, because you're positing that, like, and not to change the subject from the music, but you're totally right. I don't think there's any music, but it just reminded me of that. It's well, I noticed that, and then I read Roger, and then I read Roger Ebert's review, and in Ebert's review, he brings up that there's no music as uh, as well, and I was like, oh yeah, I was thinking this while I was watching this movie. Why is there no fucking music in this movie? Was this movie directed? <laughs> no no not really it just wasn't important it just wasn't important in the movie you know it just wasn't like wasn't like part of the movie why bother um, why bother who gives a shit you know oh, it's so expensive Ugh, music come on what it's a racket um so yeah i think the movie's grown out of a lot of things both aesthetically thematically <laughs> and um directorially and uh emotionally yeah pretty much across the board you wouldn't ever in all your life see a movie like this especially as like a major release motion picture with movie stars so i gotta say the one i think that we what we learned 30 years later is that eight-year-old chris had bad taste well i think it's yes i mean you know